Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. And now, it's time for Serralo Sports Talk with Joe Serralo. Get this started. Serralo Sports Talk with me, Joe Serralo, live for the hour on your national airwaves. And we've got a busy show, folks. It's going to be a betting heavy show. I'm on the heater of all heaters. I am robbing money from the NFL this season. College football, I, I mean, I am just on an absolute, probably four to six week long heater there. I'm hitting Tuesday night matching bets. It's going to be a betting heavy show. So buckle up there. We're going to be reacting to the college football playoff updated rankings. My man, our college football expert here at Believe, Joe DeLeon, is going to be with me live in the studio shortly to break down the updated college football rankings. Joe, of course, the former long snapper at the University of Rhode Island, because, yes, they need long snappers in the FCS, too. So he's going to join the show to talk all that and then some with me. Might even touch on some early offseason MLB moves. Tyler Anderson to the Angels. No really big dominoes have fallen yet. Edwin Diaz. That was a couple weeks ago before free agency even began. You already heard my take there. We're going to possibly dive into a little bit of that, sprinkle some in there. But we've got to start with arguably the best team in football right now, the Minnesota Vikings. That is something that was not on my bingo card for the 2022 NFL season, saying that the Minnesota Vikings might be the best team in the National Football League. But why not? They are tied for the best record in the NFC and the NFL with Philadelphia losing Monday night to Washington. Both the Eagles and Vikings are 8-1. and one. Of course, the Eagles have the head-to-head advantage there. Beat Minnesota Monday night, week two. But since then, the Vikes have rattled off seven straight wins. And they are coming off a win in Buffalo in overtime that is undoubtedly, undeniably, the game of the year in the National Football League. I mean, Kirk Cousins, give the guy credit. You look at the box score, and it certainly wasn't the best game of his career. Had more mistakes than he had scores, two INTs to one touchdown, but you know what? Kirk Cousins got the job done. He got some second chances. He certainly got bailed out at times, but he got the job done, and to his credit, Kirk Cousins has been getting the job done all season long. Kirk Cousins is a guy who I have long made the comparison to Jimmy Garoppolo. Now, I always said Kirk Cousins was a little better, a little more talented, better arm than Jimmy Garoppolo. But at the end of the day, my question surrounding both of those quarterbacks is when are they going to blow it, right? Because they could put up 300 yards. Cousins, definitely more of a uh, stat sheet filler than Jimmy G. But Cousins could put up 300, 400 yards any given Sunday, could put up 27 points any given Sunday. But when is he going to throw that timely interception when his team needs him? When the game is, when they're down 30 to 27 and they're driving, running a two minute drill, Kirk Cousins. Jimmy G, a couple of guys that you can almost always count on to blow it. And to Kirk Cousins' credit, this season, he has not been that guy. Now, look, I mean, he's got the benefit of some incredible weapons, right? Dalvin Cook took 14 carries for 120 yards against the Buffalo defense that going into that game was, what, the second-best defense, third-best defense in the National Football League? I mean, Dalvin Cook, eight and a half yards per carry. He torched the Buffalo defense all day long. And then you look at the receiving options. 
right? I mean, Adam Thielen, his best years are definitely behind him, but he is a good number two. TJ Hawkinson, I mean, give the Vikings all the credit in the world. I thought they fleeced Detroit in that deal. I thought to get a guy like that from a division rival at the price they paid, that was an incredible trade for the Minnesota Vikings a couple weeks ago at the NFL deadline. And let's not forget the arguably best wide receiver in the National Football League, Justin Jefferson. I mean, you look at that Stephon Diggs-Justin Jefferson trade. Of course, it was Diggs to the Bills for draft picks, and then Minnesota used those draft picks to take Justin Jefferson. My goodness. Probably, I mean, look, if you're going to look at this from a GM's perspective, right, for cost efficiency and value, the Vikings won the deal. But has there been such a win-win deal in the NFL in recent memory than Justin Jefferson or the pick that got him for Stephon Diggs? Stephon Diggs has been a top five receiver every year with Josh Allen in Buffalo. Justin Jefferson has been uh, one of the best draft picks in my lifetime. I mean, a a first rounder, but a late first rounder taken in the twenties to Minnesota. Uh, This kid, you know, when he was at LSU, we all knew how talented he was. We all knew how incredible that entire LSU team, especially that offense, 15 and 0 coach. O, Joe Burrow, Jamar Chase. We all knew how great they were, but it was Jamar Chase. He was the guy that had all the attention, right? He was the burner. He was the guy with cat-like, cheetah-like, lightning-like speed. He was probably Joe Burrow's favorite target in that championship season. But Justin Jefferson was the hands guy. Justin Jefferson was the model of consistency. He had the hands of glue. And what we've seen from both of them, I mean, Justin Jefferson now in year three, Jamar Chase in year two, they've lived up to the billing in full. But Justin Jefferson may be the best wide receiver in football. And what I love about the season Justin Jefferson's having, you know, just had 10 catches for 193 and a touchdown against Buffalo. What I love about the season he's having is that he came out opening day. The Vikings, the line was about even against Green Bay. No one knew how to gauge Green Bay. They had lost Devontae Adams. Minnesota had high expectations coming into the year. Minnesota annihilated them. Beat them 23-7 week one. JJ went off 11 catches for 184 and two touchdowns. But then... All of a sudden, week two, he goes for 48 yards against the Eagles. Week three, in a nail-biting 28-24, come from behind victory against Detroit. Don't forget, the Vikings could have easily been one and two to start the year. The Lions had him on the ropes. And week three, in that win against the Lions, Jefferson had three catches for 14 yards. And people were saying, is Justin Jefferson overrated? Is Justin Jefferson a flash in the pan, a three to four great game a year type of guy. What has he done since then? He's gone for 100 yards in five of his six games since then. The one game he didn't went for 98. Now, he didn't have a touchdown for a while. He didn't have a touchdown from week two all the way up until a couple uh, couple weeks ago against Washington. He's only got four on the season. He's got one touchdown in consecutive weeks right now, had two opening day against Green Bay. So, you know, it, it was a struggle for him to get in the end zone, as expected. I mean, he's got all of the attention, all of the focus of opposing defenses, but he's been torching them. I mean, I mean, he's got one, two, three, four games north of 147 yards this season. Like I said, he's gone for at least 98 every game he's played since week four. He's an undeniable talent. He's got a ridiculous work ethic, and he just made against Buffalo not only the catch of the season, but maybe just maybe the best catch in NFL history. That grab Justin Jefferson made showed you that he is not just about talent. He is not just about physical ability, freakish physical nature. 
but he is about hunger. I mean, that catch he made from Buffalo, double teamed, going up with one hand. Now, look, you know, you can compare it to the Odell catch. I've seen comparisons, you know, the David Tyree catch with I Love, obviously. It was a Super Bowl catch. As far as the catch itself, should not be in the conversation for best catch of all time. You know, I've seen the Edelman one get brought up. To me, it's between Odell and this Justin Jefferson catch. The Odell catch, full extension, arm well behind his head, grabbing that with pass interference, absurd. This Justin Jefferson catch, double teamed like Odell, but the ball was in the Buffalo Bills defender's hand. I believe it was Benford, the rookie out of Villanova. I mean, they both had the ball. And Jefferson with one hand, as opposed to the young D-back with two hands, Jefferson just snatched that. He just snatched that ball out of the youngster's hand and somehow, on his way to the ground, double team being tackled, somehow pinned that thing against his thigh to reel it in. It, it was the, the catch of the year. Maybe, and, and I mean this without recency bias, because I will, you know, I will look at that catch next to Adele's catch side by side for days and analyze them and, and really try to be neutral on this one. And a Giants fan in me wants to say Odell hands down. That catch might have been the greatest catch I've ever seen. The greatest catch in NFL history. That was just a freak of nature. Should never have been a possibility type play. But that catch, that tells me this might be the season for the Minnesota Vikings. When a play like that goes your way against a team that you know was the consensus unanimous choice almost for the preseason to be the best team in football. When you make that catch, that play, that comeback, I mean, the Vikings were dead, right? The Bills had the ball inside two minutes to go on their own one-yard line. They were up three. All they had to do was gain some positive yards, run the clock out, and Josh Allen fumbles the ball, literally fumbles the bag, and Eric Kendricks recovers it in the end zone. Vikings go up. Bills tie it. Allen leads a great drive. Vikings win it in OT. Rest is history. I mean, that's the game of the year. It's the play of the year by Justin Jefferson. The Vikings might be the team this year. They might be the team of the year, the team this year. What's going on in Minnesota? One year removed from Mike Zimmer, first year with a new head coach. What's going on in Minnesota right now is wild, and I think it deserves just as much attention as the Chiefs get, the Bills get, the Eagles have gotten on a weekly basis. The Vikings are for real. I know it's easy to look at them and say, well, Detroit had him on the ropes. The Saints had him on the ropes. The Bears had him on the ropes. The Commanders had him on the ropes. They're winning close games. They're not winning pretty every week, but it's the NFL. And it's the toughest league to win in on a week-to-week basis. And at the end of the day, the bottom line is that they're winning. And I think the fact that they are underdogs against the Dallas Cowboys at home is disrespectful as hell. But I'll get deeper into that. I'll dive deeper into that on my final word. So you have to listen to the entire show today. Stick with me, Joe Serralo. You're dialed into Serralo Sports Talk on your national airwaves. When we come back, Joe DeLeon joins me to talk college football playoff rankings right here as part of the Believe Hour. All right, back here on Serralo Sports Talk with me, Joe Serralo, taking you through the hour here on your national airwaves was all over the Minnesota Vikings possibly being the best team in the National Football League in the monologue. But as promised, we're going to go from the NFL down to college football and take a look at the updated college football playoff rankings with our college football expert over here at Believe, my man Joe DeLeon, former long snapper Mm. for the University of Rhode Island, because hey, FCS schools need long snappers too, right Joe? Oh, absolutely, and heck, I appreciate you using the word expert. That means a lot. Not a lot of people think that I am, but uh, it it means a lot. Well, you know what? Look, some of your takes are piping hot, some of your takes are freezing cold, but at least you got takes. 
At least you got. Well, most of them are also very, very correct, and all my (laughs) takes for this upcoming weekend are definitely going to be correct as well. That's all I. Wow, not not a fellow narcissist from the (laughs) East Coast (laughs) could never be me, Joe. Let's dive into these rankings. Mm -hmm. I I mean, not a lot to complain about, but I'm kind of more curious about what they're going to look like down the line because Ohio State and Michigan are probably not going to be two and three come the end of the year. I mean, they play Thanksgiving weekend every year. Is there a path for both of them to make the playoff though? I think absolutely, and you have to look at the remaining field right now, who they're going to be in competition with. If TCU loses, that's going to open up the door for them, but the argument that we have right now for Tennessee is that they're a one-loss team, they don't have to play in the SEC championship game, that's going to create a wide-open door for them to walk in. So why can't one of the one-loss Big Ten teams, if it's either Michigan or Ohio State, be that other team that slots in? And frankly, I would take a one-loss Michigan or a one-loss Ohio State team over a one-loss USC, over a one-loss Clemson team. Oh, don't say that, that to me. Don't say that. Come on. If you're a conference champion and you're a 12-1 and power conference champion, you're going to miss the playoffs so that an 11-1 and runner-up who didn't even play in the conference championship game can waltz right in? Absolutely. I think that USC... No, no, no. I'm not. USC is far less well-rounded than either Michigan or Ohio State. Both teams are... Fantastic defensively, fantastic offensively. USC's fun. You know, they're a great team. They have as good an offense as anyone in the country. I I agree their defense needs a lot of work, and they don't have much time to refine it. But they have a better offense than Michigan. It's not even close. In different ways, though. Running versus passing? Yeah, yeah. Michigan's run game is significantly stronger than anything that USC, any product that they've put out there. But, like, just my my big takeaway is that, like, I don't want USC to go out there and play – Georgia or Tennessee, their secondary is not good enough to compete with any of those athletes in the SEC. It's just not. That program is going to be really good in a couple of years or maybe even next season. But right now, there are too many holes on that roster. Who was it? Michigan played Georgia last year in the playoff New Year's Eve? Yes. Right? Yes, yes. How'd that go for Michigan? But that's a completely different I don't want to see team. that rematch. I want to see USC wait, 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 go but, out there. But you th- you're telling me that you think that, that USC is going to put up a more competitive battle against Georgia this season? Absolutely not. I think not. USC's defense against Georgia could be, I'll be honest, could be a disaster. Uh-huh. But I want to see Caleb Williams, Jordan Addison go out there. I mean, missing losing Travis Dye was just an absolute gut punch. That mm-hmm. was horrific. I, I mean, his career is over. He was one of the best running backs in the country this year coming over from Colorado to SC. But I want to see Caleb Williams, Jordan Addison and company run it against the Georgia Bulldogs defense. We saw Hendon Hooker and Tennessee's offense and they couldn't do anything. So instead of seeing Tennessee go out there in the playoff, I want to see USC and that offense get a shot at Georgia. But that's to my point is look at how Georgia embarrassed Hendon Hooker and Josh Heupel in that offense. There's parallels to be made with various strengths at receiver and a quarterback and mm-hmm. the style of quarterback play that you get with Tennessee and Caleb Williams and Hendon Hooker. And they were embarrassed. I want a physical team, a physical team up front. That's what's going to match up well with Georgia. But That's Michigan what, was that team last year. They had they had the number two overall draft pick coming off the tur- edge and they, they still couldn't all, do anything. They returned most of their offensive line and Blake Corum has taken an, uh, uh, this running back pairing of Donovan Edwards and Blake Corum is far better than the offense that they had. And you know what the big difference is here? Cade McNamara stunk. Cade McNamara was so soft and so boring he was as beef a quarterback. Garbaggio. Yeah, and they weren't going to throw J.J. McCarthy out there to be eaten alive because he was a true freshman. He's getting experienced. I know that he's not perfect, and he's still learning on the job, but I am more excited to see what J.J.'s going to do in a, in a game like that than I would be to see what Cade McNamara. I know J.J.'s not Caleb Williams. I'm not saying that he's not, but 
if you need him to throw a football on a, on a third medium after getting two good rushing plays on the first two plays of the series, I'm confident in him that he can possibly get it. I'm not confident in uh, trying to air it out against Georgia because it's clearly not going to work. I, I Now, you see, I, I think Georgia is more likely to completely stomp out a one-dimensional offense. Look, Michigan, their passing game is better, to your point, than it was a year ago. Mm-hmm. But you still know that they rely heavily on the run. And Georgia, year in and year out under Kirby Smart, their front seven, no pun intended because they're called the Bulldogs, they're a bunch of dogs in that front seven. And, and I think if they know that the run is coming more often than not, they're going to stuff it. And USC, I mean, look, I, I think that USC's O-line, it, it's, you know, one of the finalists. They're a semifinalist for the Joe Moore Award. They shouldn't be. Are you smoking I, right I, now? I watched they're the, one wait, of the wait, wait, wait. They're, whoa, whoa, whoa. It they're one of the best be. nine offensive lines in the country. Their, but they se- shouldn't their center be. is the best center in the country. I've watched them on a week-to-week basis have horrible performances. They, You're you watching know, too much Montana no, State. No, 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 no. You want to know why that they're given that award? They, statistically, yeah, they're fine. But if you watch Caleb Williams, he's running for his life every single game. That, to me, is one of the... I didn't even know that they were. Uh, they're a, a semifinalist for the Joe Moore Award. I, I think That's that ridiculous. they're. I think the interior of their line is ahead of their tackles, but I think that when you mix a top nine offensive line in the country with Caleb Williams' mobility, I think you got a shot against Georgia. Whereas Michigan, I just think Georgia is going to know what's coming, and a team like that, coached by a guy like Kirby Smart, they're going to stop it. You know, it's funny though because we're talking about we're debating Michigan getting in at eleven and one. Uh-huh. They still have to play Ohio State, who, by the way, they beat last year. Yes. How do you think that game is going to unfold two weeks out? This to me has been so hard to predict and to really know what's going to happen in this game because you've got two completely different styles of offenses and two really, really strong defenses. You've got Ohio State that can air it out like the best of them, like the best teams in the country. They've got three very, very talented receivers. If Jackson Smith and Jigba comes back, that's going to be huge for them in this matchup. But on the other side of things, we just talked about that dominance on the ground. It's it to me is going to be who can enforce and impose their own will on the on their opponent in this one. And I, I think that based on how things turned out, I draw parallels to the Tennessee Georgia game where the more physical upfront team was the one that won. And I I think just by is a that slight Michigan edge, this year, I think that Michigan's more physical than Ohio State right now. Wow. I mean, you know, we've seen Ohio State. They started the year first off. Week one, they struggled with your Notre Dame Fighting Irish. Yes. They struggled. And I think, you know, I, I don't know what you thought. I think I went into that being like, wow, Marcus Freeman was the right hire. And, and no knock on Marcus Freeman. You know, he's corrected some things. They started really poorly, had those bad losses to Marshall and Stanford. Uh, inexcusable losses, frankly. But they've had some good wins since. They embarrassed the Clemson team that I don't think should be in the top 10 anymore. But I walked away from that week one game, not so much going question marks about Ohio State, more so being like Notre Dame's a playoff contender. Since then, we've seen Ohio yeah. State. I mean, Penn State had them on the ropes. Penn State should have beaten them. James Franklin did what James Franklin does, and that's choke away the fourth quarter in big games. And then they go to Northwestern, and in a game that they're favored by 38 points, they win 21-7. to Ohio State's, they, they've been concerning at times. Yeah, and that's that physicality aspect that I'm bringing up here is, like, Northwestern's a really good example. They're playing in a torrential downpour. They're, they're playing in, in horrible conditions. And a good football team in that circumstance you got to run the football. Mm-hmm. You got to be able to run the football. And I didn't see an ability to do that. I didn't see a group that was able to show the fortitude to just take over the game on the ground. And that wasn't there. That wasn't prevalent in that game. And hypothetically, like these matchups, I don't know what the, the forecast is going to be for when they play. It snows a lot. Two when weeks these- out. I mean, you're talking, what, November 26th? Yeah. In, in, where's the game this year? 
Uh, it's at Ohio State, I right? It's in Columbus. So. I, th- I think so. But how many times have we seen that it snowed in this matchup? Yeah, like, not, I just... not as frigid as Ann Arbor, but it's probably going to be not ideal weather. Although, right. great football weather. Great, great <laughs> football weather. But I don't believe that they have that type of a unit to step up and be physical when they need to be. Yeah. I mean, it's going to be, I think it's going to be a great game. I don't know. You think Michigan's better than they were a year ago? Yes. And they got and they got the best of Ohio State last year. And Ohio State had what, two top 12 wideouts get drafted? I mean, but the problem is is that Ohio State also looks better. And they lost those top two. They lost Olave and they lost Wilson, which are huge blows, but the next group of guys that stepped up have almost even been better than those two guys that they lost, which you know, it's ridiculous. It's, the, the wideouts that they turn out. I mean, yeah. Jamison Williams couldn't even play there. He had to go to Alabama to play. Right. When you have to go from Ohio State to Alabama to get playing time. What's going on? Exactly. And the talent that they've shown at the receiver position, again, it looks even better. But the reason why Ohio State has improved is uh, Jim Knowles has, has made that that group just so good defensively. And their defensive front has been so, so dominant. It's going to be it's going to be a fun matchup this year between these two teams. Joe, a little under two minutes to go. I want to talk about yeah. the team in that four spot right now. TCU. I have been, you, you know, my gambling background. Yes, yes, I, yes. You may be the college football analyst. I'm the college football handicapper. And I've been <laughs> riding TCU. This was a team I picked up on early this season after they thrashed Oklahoma in week four, 55 to 24. They're 8-1-1 one, and one against the spread. 10-0 and on the season, 8-1-1 one, and one against the spread. They're the best team to bet on in college football. They're just two and a half point favorites at Baylor this week. So Do you think this team goes... 3-0 and the rest of the way, 13-0, and and makes the playoff. And what are you betting in that TCU-Baylor game? It's it's the 9 a.m. West Coast game on Fox. I always hate road favorites in that early window, but I've seen nothing out of Baylor. Yeah, uh, Baylor is very inconsequential, and the way that they looked against Kansas State is nothing to, to be excited about. I have a ton of faith in TCU in this matchup. It's disrespectful that, that that is the line. You can't even really pay attention to those lines in these types of games if you're you know, if you're Sonny Dykes and you're leading your program, just put it behind you. But uh, they're going to beat Baylor. Their real test is going to come, which they're likely going to play Kansas State in that Big 12 championship game. That is going to be really difficult because they almost lost that game if it weren't for quarterback injuries. Um, but no, I think the TCU, really good shot to, to run the table here and be that fourth team in the playoff. TCU minus two and a half. It's my lock of the week. Joe thinks they're going to the playoff. I do too. Guy I'm looking out for, man. Garrett Riley, their offensive coordinator, mm. he has gotten the best out of Max Duggan this season. And if the last name sounds familiar, Lincoln Riley, head coach <laughs> over at USC, I think Garrett's going to be a head coach next year. Not a head coach. I think somebody else is going to swoop him up. A big, big program is going to swoop him up Ooh. as their offensive coordinator. Then he's going to get it's going to be like Marcus Freeman a couple years ago, where Marcus Freeman was that highly looked after coordinator and then now eventually head coach. There you have it. Joe DeLeon, Joe Serralo, everything we say is right. We'll be back. I'm going to be giving you more bets. I promise this was going to be a betting intensive show. Stick with me, Joe Serralo, right here, right now on Serralo Sports Talk. All right, back here on Serralo Sports Talk with me, Joe Serralo. We're ready to round out the hour on your national airwaves right here. Great stuff from my man, Joe DeLeon. If you can't tell, he's a good buddy of mine. And, uh, you know, I think his takes are god-awful. But I love going back and forth with him. At least he got TCU right. I mean, I think taking a an 11-1 Michigan, an 11-1 Ohio State, an 11-1 Tennessee over potentially a 12-1 Pac-12 champion USC, I think that's nuts. I, I think he's got his head up as you-know-what. But nonetheless, I mean, love the kid. TCU minus two and a half, lock it in. And I think I've got about 13 minutes of bets coming up for you. 
because this is a slate this week that I'm borderline in love with. I mean, you know it's good when I love a slate more than I could ever love another human being. And that's how I feel about this week's slate. That's how I felt about a lot of slates since week four. My Serralo pick six. And if you want the Serralo pick six, head over to at the Joe Serralo on Twitter. I put up my pick six every Sunday morning before the games. Usually don't include Thursday night, but I actually love this Thursday night game. So I'm going to hit that in my final word. couple NFC North games, Packers, Titans, and then, of course, I promised my final word would have the Vikings, Cowboys in there. But head over to Twitter, at the Joe Serralo. Make sure you hit that follow button. Head over to Instagram, at Joe Serralo. You'll get all my picks on all my socials. That's how I operate. I am on a roll. Start of the year. Weeks one, two, and three, the Serralo pick six in those 18 games was seven and 11. It was bad. I was sad. It was uh, it was a, a first three weeks that I was not accustomed to. Usually, I kill September, struggle in October, and I write the ship in November. This year has been the opposite. September was a bleep show. October rolled around, and oh baby, week four, the first weekend of October, I got hot. And you know what they say, don't let the kid get hot. Since week three, my Serralo pick six is 27, 12, and three. All season long, the six lock of the weeks I've given out are five and one. Those are three unit plays, those lock of the weeks. 27, 12, and three since week four began. That's a 69% winning percentage on the year, 34, 23, and three. The Serralo pick six has been unbeatable. It's been remarkable. And I'm going to, because I promised a betting intensive show, I'm going to spread the wealth a little bit. And I want to start in New York. No, not with my Giants. Y'all know I love the Giants. I've been making a lot of money on the Giants, by the way. The Giants and the Titans, the two best teams to bet on in football this year, seven and two against the spread. But I'm going to start with the Jets because the New York Jets, who have not beaten the New England Patriots since 2016, they have lost 13 straight games to the New England Patriots. They are just four and nine in those 13 games against New England against the spread. The New York Jets are getting three and a half. And I love that number. You give me a team that I already like as an underdog getting three and a half, getting seven and a half, and that number makes me so happy I can't even describe it to you on air. So give me the Jets, who are 4-0 straight up as an underdog this year, 4-0 against the spread as an underdog this year, or, or rather 4-0 straight up and against the spread on the road this year. Excuse me, the game's in Foxborough. They are 5-3 and against the spread as an underdog, 3-0 and against the spread as a road underdog. Give me the Jets plus three and a half in New England. Give me the Jets a little sprinkle dinkle. How you doing? Money line in New England. The New York Jets are going to beat the New England Patriots for the first time since 2015. Did someone say underdogs, by the way? Because the Pittsburgh Steelers, Mike Tomlin's Pittsburgh Steelers are four and a half point underdogs against the Cincinnati Bengals. Now, Pittsburgh beat Cincinnati. Opening day, week one. And look, you can look at this game from both angles, right? The Steelers beat them 23-20. Game-winning field goal in overtime. Game could have been a tie as time expired. And the Steelers were dominating them early. So they let Cincinnati get back into the game. They picked Joe Burrow off, what, three, four times? They sacked him like five times. TJ Watt was an animal until he got injured, was in the backfield all damn day. And the Bengals still, still kept it close. Still could have won that game in OT. But when you look at the Pittsburgh Steelers, who are now at home. That game was in Cincinnati. TJ Watt is back. It's his second game back from an injury. And the Pittsburgh Steelers are one of the best home underdog against the spread teams in the NFL since Mike Tomlin took over for Bill Cowher in the 2006 
season. In fact, the Steelers at home as an underdog under Mike Tomlin are 15-3-3 against the spread. That is an 83% cover mark. And in the last three years, as home dogs in the end of the Ben Roethlisberger era, in the Duck Hodges era, in the Mason Rudolph era, now in the Mitchell Trubisky and Kenny Pickett small hands era, Pittsburgh Steelers in the last three years as a home dog, 8-0-1 against the spread. The Pittsburgh Steelers are going to cover that four and a half point number against Cincinnati. By the way, let's talk teams against their own division, right? Because I just mentioned I just mentioned the Jets and the Patriots. That's a divisional matchup. Now let's look at the Steelers against their own division under Mike Tomlin. This is no small sample size. Since 2006, the Steelers under Mike Tomlin are 54, 42, and 7 against the spread in divisional games. That's a 56% clip, nowhere near as impressive as their 83% clip as a home dog under Tomlin, but that 56% cover mark against the spread against their own division under Mike Tomlin, it's the second best mark against the team's own division in the National Football League since 2006. Only the Packers have been better since 06, the last few years of Brett Favre, the entirety of Aaron Rodgers' career, and you look at the Packers' division versus the Steelers' division. Now, yes, the Cleveland Browns were hot garbage most of that time. Cincinnati Bengals had some up-and-down years. They were a playoff team quite a bit under Andy Dalton. Ravens have been great damn near the whole time. The Packers, I mean, you're talking about a team that since 06 has shared a division with the Bears who I believe made the Super Bowl in the 06 regular season, 07 playoffs, but haven't done jack since. Uh, the Minnesota Vikings, who were inconsistent, and the lowly Detroit Lions. So you look at the ease of their division schedules and the fact that the Pittsburgh Steelers against what's consistently a division that usually can crank out three playoff teams. I mean, even before the, the playoff expansion to seven, even when it was six, you always had two to three AFC North teams in the race, right? It was not uncommon to have that third place team be nine and seven. Pittsburgh Steelers covering 56% of their divisional games. That speaks to Mike Tomlin. That's quite a body of work. 16 years to look at. I like the Steelers plus four and a half there. So I'm on two teams getting the points. Pittsburgh plus four and a half. Jets either plus three and a half or even a little money line sprinkle. I think the Jets could very well win that game in New England. Let's look at the rest of Sunday's slate. I told you, Cowboys-Vikings, that's going to be in the final word, as is the Thursday night game between Tennessee and and Green Bay. Let's take a look at the Chicago Bears and the Atlanta Falcons. This is a real interesting game. This is a game that I'm certainly less confident in than my Jets pick or my Steelers pick, but you get the Falcons here. They're minus three. They are three-point favorites at home, and a lot of people look at them and go, hey, well, I know that they're four and six, but they're six and four against the spread, and the truth is, they started the year 6-0 and against the spread. The Atlanta Falcons are one of the coldest teams in football. Started the year, what were they? 3-3, 6-0 against the spread. Since then, they're 1-3, 0-4 against the spread. And the Chicago Bears are playing football, right? They're putting up points at the very least. And while the Bears' offensive line is terrible, Atlanta's pass rush doesn't inflict fear into me. And the Bears' defense ain't great. But if you're talking a shootout here, between Justin Fields, a guy who's run for over 300 yards in the last two weeks, and who, oh, by the way, this year we're learning, can actually throw the ball, can sling it like he did when he was a Buckeye at Ohio State. If you're giving me a game where one team is favored by a field goal, and it's Justin Fields versus Marcus Mariota, give me Justin Fields all damn day. Do the Falcons have better weapons? Absolutely. You've got Drake London. You've got Kyle Pitts. That's better than any receiving options that the Chicago Bears have. Backfield? 
Cordero Patterson coming back from injury didn't do anything. And I know the Falcons have also had a week and a half off to prepare for this game. Cordero didn't do anything on Thursday night against the Carolina Panthers. Khalil Herbert, the running back, the youngster out of VTech for Chicago, he has stepped up and he has filled that hole that was left early in the year at running back for the Chicago Bears in a big way. I like the Chicago Bears. I'm going to be safe in this one. I like a money line. I'm going to take the points. They're three-point dogs. We saw what can happen in a shootout last week. I thought they were going to beat Detroit. Took them minus two and a half against the Lions. I went four and two last week. That was one of my two losses. So I'm going to take the points in this one in case they lose another 31-30 shootout. But I'm going to take the Bears plus three in hot Atlanta. Sunday night football. And then we'll maybe look at another college game in addition to that TCU game. Sunday night football. The Chiefs, the Chargers. Kansas City is getting damn near a full touchdown. The Kansas City Chiefs are six and a half point favorites on the road at the LA Chargers. Now, the LA Chargers have been an interesting team. They're five and four this year. Ton of injury issues. Not living up to the hype. I mean, people were calling them a Super Bowl contender preseason. I know that they've been injured. But with Brandon Staley as their head coach, they will never be a Super Bowl contender. But while they're just five and four, they're six and three against the spread. Let's look a little deeper into that. The LA Chargers, and I took them last week and they capped off what was a three and two week with a win, made me four and two because they were getting seven and a half up to eight and a half at game time against the Niners on Sunday night football. The LA Chargers, that game was in San Francisco on the road. They're five and oh against the spread. The Chargers are 5-0 against the spread on the road. The Jets are 4-0 against the spread on the road. But at home, the Chargers are just 1-3 against the number. Now, Kansas City, who, because they've been favored in so many games and by so many points in the Patrick Mahomes era now in year five, Kansas City has been a really mediocre, if not less than mediocre, team to bet on really throughout the last three years. Once Mahomes came in and showed us that he would not just be dominant, but would be consistently dominant throughout the first two years, of his career as a starter, not counting the rookie year he sat out, of course. Once Mahomes showed that, Kansas City, the lines were lopsided. Last three years, they've been like a 40% covered team, right? But this year, while they stink at home, Kansas City is the reverse of the Chargers against the spread record. At home, Chargers, one and three against the number. Kansas City on the road, three and one against the number. I like the Chiefs in this one. Six and a half is a big number, but we have seen Mahomes put up monster point totals against divisional opponents. And with the Chargers being banged up, with Keenan Allen and Mike Williams' status being uncertain up until game time seemingly every week, I'm sorry if Josh Palmer is wide receiver one for the Chargers, Steve Spagnola's defense is going to slow him down. And I don't think that Chargers defense is slowing down Patty Mahomes and the Chiefs. Give him to me minus the six and a half. All right, let's look at this college slate a little bit. TCU Baylor's my college lock of the week. Horn Frogs minus two and a half. How you doing? They're going to the playoff. Let's see what else the slate has in store for us. Looking at the college games right now and ding, ding, ding. We've got a winner. Ole Miss. Go Rebels. The Ole Miss Rebels are two and a half point favorites at Arkansas. Now, Arkansas burned me last week. The, the Razorbacks were getting three and a half at home to LSU. LSU has been on a hot streak where they've been torching everyone. And I'm thinking there is no way in hell that Arkansas can stay within four points, let alone within a touchdown, maybe even 10 points of LSU. My, my score prediction was 38-20 LSU, and I couldn't have been more wrong. They won that game 13-10. But now we're inside that three-point number. I might have taken LSU minus three and a half, and they won by three, and I got burned. I hate that three and a half number for a favorite. Love it for an underdog. But now we've got Ole Miss 
who has almost as dynamic of an offense as LSU, and they are just two-and-a-half-point favorites at Arkansas. They're on the right side of that number. This is an Ole Miss team that I know that they're on the road here, uh, and they were at home last week against Bama, but they were in it with Bama till the end. They lost by just six. You look at what Ole Miss has done on the road this year. They haven't had many road games, but LSU, they lost 45-20. Look, they were up 17-3, a damn near halftime in that one. A&M went on the road, won by three. Arkansas is better than A&M, so maybe that's why this number's falling where it is. At Vandy, they won by 24. Vandy just beat Kentucky. At Georgia Tech, 42-0. Georgia Tech's nothing, but Ole Miss can and will put up points. Arkansas is pretty hit or miss with that offense. I'm going to take Lane Kiffin. I'm going to take the Rebels coming off a loss. They're going to win this game. They're going to cover. Give me Ole Miss, just like TCU on the road, minus two and a half. I love it. And that was a lot. That was 13 minutes of straight bets. I've got two more of my final words. Stick with me, Joe Sorallo. We'll be right back here on Sorallo Sports Talk. All right, back here on Sorallo Sports Talk with me, Joe Sorallo. Time for my final word on this week's episode, episode 88 of Sorallo Sports Talk. And it's more bets for you. It's NFC North. Two more games that I promised the game of the week in my eyes. The Minnesota Vikings, 8-1, and one, tied for the best record in football, yet they're home dogs against the Dallas Cowboys. And then Thursday night football, the Green Bay Packers, the Tennessee Titans in Lambeau, every player's dream of a stadium to play in. Let's start right there with the Thursday night game. Tennessee Titans getting points. Point blank hammer it. Any situation. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna lead yawn. I'm not gonna draw this one out. If you have the Tennessee Titans, who started the year both 0-2 straight up and against the spread, and they are getting more than a field goal. They're getting plus three, plus three and a half, depending on where you look. If you don't like the plus three, that's even odds. Just buy it up. It'll be like minus 120 to get them plus three and a half. You have to take that. Since their 0-2 start, they've gone 6-1 and straight up and 7-0. and They've covered 7 straight, 7-0 against the spread since their 0-2 start. Mike Vrabel's got that team playing great football. I said it last week on Believe Me, the show, of course, that I host national TV show on Stadium alongside Brandon Lang and Cordell Stewart. I said it when we talked about the Titans. They were 2.5-point favorites against Denver. I loved them in that spot. I said other teams know the game plan. The Titans are going to hand the ball to Derrick Henry, and they are going to shove it down your throat, and they're going to say, try to stop us. And guess what? You can't stop them. You can't stop the Tennessee Titans. You can't stop Derrick Henry. You can't stop Mike Vrabel the way he has that defense playing football right now. Take my money. Go to whatever casino you like on the Strip in Vegas and throw a suitcase of it, throw a duffel bag of it down on the Titans. Tennessee, Thursday night, plus three, plus three and a half. If you want to take a money line, I don't think the Green Bay Packers have much of anything this year. Go ahead and sprinkle a little something on it. Love Tennessee in this spot and the game of the week. Before we wrap up Serralo Sports Talk, I've given you 18 bets this show. We're going to go 18 and 0, folks. Before we wrap it up, the Minnesota Vikings, they're home dogs against Dallas. I don't know what the odds are, but take a money line and thank me later. The Dallas Cowboys went to Green Bay and they lost. The Minnesota Vikings are a lot better than Green Bay. They're at home. The Minnesota Vikings are 4-0 at home straight up this year. I don't need to get into the fact that they're 2-2 two two against the spread at home because I'm taking a money line because they're dogs and they're 4-0 at home. We're cooking with Kirk. Give me the Vikes money line and thank me later. And just like that, this episode of Serralo Sports Talk is up. It's over. It's out of here. That's episode 88, folks. I'll see you next week. I'll make you some more money then. Thank you for listening to Believe. 
You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.